Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody, and welcome Lock to the Bubble Hour. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Bubble Hour. This is Amanda. Um, we had a little technical startup here. I guess the show from last week decided to play. But um, this is the Bubble Hour, and we are live tonight, and um, we are going to talk. This is where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. And tonight I am joined by my co-hosts, Catherine and Ellie, who will, um, and Ellie is going to be tweeting in the background. Hi, ladies. How are you tonight? Good. Hey, Amanda. Amanda. You know, it wouldn't be a, a, a normal, it, it wouldn't just wouldn't be our show without a technical difficulty. Well, I was thinking that the show was so good last week that it just, you know, the, the Blog Talk Radio studio had to just play it on its own. Right, I miss right. that, we're, that we're not around our kitchen table with the creaky chairs. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, fortunately we are not perfect and we can roll with these things today. <laughs> um so anyways, Jean has the night off tonight and we're sending her lots of sober love over the airways. And um so we're always trying to think of topics that are compelling to our listeners, but the heart of every show is our guests and their recovery stories. Everyone who participates on the show is a volunteer whose willingness to honestly share their experience, strength, and hope keeps us all sober. So tonight we will will be an open format episode in the style of a speaker discussion meeting where one guest shares their recovery story. And I'm sure many of you will recognize this wonderful woman's voice tonight. In fact, the bubble concept was her idea. We are thrilled to have Lisa N., former co-host and one of the founders of the Bubble Hour, as our guest tonight. Hi, Lisa. Welcome back to the show. Hey, Amanda and Catherine and Ellie. I'm so happy to be here. I feel right at home, and I'm really secretly thrilled that there was some technical difficulty because this is really kind of fitting. Um, it brought me back to the earliest uh, bubble hour days. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yes. So I remember those days fondly. <laughs> so thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm thrilled, thrilled to be here with you guys. Yay. Yay. Well, just hearing your voice puts a big smile on my face, Lisa. Um, I feel the same, so thank you. I feel right at home, and I'm happy to be here. Good, good. Well, so, of course, we're going to want to talk about um, what you put in your bubble and how it's helped you in your sobriety, but why don't we start off by hearing about your journey into sobriety. Uh, Would you care to share your story with us? Sure. Um, Well, you know, uh, early on, from an early age, I really hated alcohol because I had watched my own dad struggle with his alcoholism. Um, I really didn't understand his addiction, as most children don't. 
I thought he was, you know, choosing to drink over having a relationship with me, his only daughter. Um, so I swore that I would never, ever drink. Um, I never wanted to be like my father. Um, so my plan was to avoid it all together, and we all see how that little plan turned out. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I've heard so many people who struggle with alcohol say, you know, that the first time they ever had a drink, they felt better. They felt at ease, comfortable in their own skin. Um, it really wasn't, that wasn't how it was for me. Um, you know, in high school, I I experimented with alcohol, but I never really drank regularly. And even in college, when everybody else was binge drinking, um, I, I did it too. And, you know, but it, it it wasn't really my life. It didn't control me at that point. But, but. The signs were definitely there. It was it was coming. It was it was already a part of my life. It was just it didn't have its grips on me yet. But <clears throat> but it was definitely um, quickly uh, coming. So um, and I think like so many other people, you know, I I did drink to fit in and to relieve anxiety. Um, I was really an introverted little library girl. I was really into books, and I took my um, education very seriously. And looking back, I can see that I felt much more in control and safer when I was reading or studying. Um, But people always said that I was so much fun, you know, when I drank. So that made me, that kind of made me wonder if I was the opposite when I was sober, you know, was I boring and not fun when I was sober? If I was so much fun when I drank, those were the thoughts inside my head at the time. Um, I think, you know, drinking made me outgoing. And for years, I really did think I was an extrovert, but um, I, I wasn't. It was just kind of part of the 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 thinking that I was that I was having at the time. The train of thought I was kind of trying to figure out who I was, what I was doing, and it was kind of I guess it made me outgoing, and it seemed to make me feel less like an outsider because from an early age I always saw myself as an outsider looking in. So I think those are probably, you know, very early signs of um, what was to come. And then I think, and feel free to stop me if I'm rambling, but... um, Not at all. (laughs) I'm sure you, I mean, you know, I think so many of us have very similar um, stories. But So right after college and years before I had my first child, uh, drinking was just a very much a part of my social life. All of our friends drank. It was just the norm. There was, you know, it was just something we all did. Um, I remember once, this is a very clear memory to me, but uh, I remember once on a Tuesday night after work, stopping to um, buy a bottle of wine to drink that night. And something in my gut told me not to buy it. Um, And I really remember it. Um, Something felt just really wrong about it. Um, Someone had once told me, someone that I really admire in my family, told me once that um, drinking alone was a sign that something wasn't right. And I remember thinking those words. And I remember thinking, hmm, well, I'm going to be drinking this bottle of wine alone tonight. Is, is there something wrong? Um, and it sort of tortured me through that night that, of course, you know, the next day I just brushed it off. So 
eventually I started stopping for wine more frequently. Um, eventually I was stopping for wine every night. And that night was um, 17 years ago. So, you know, that's a long time to, you know, question it and see red flags and as we, as many of us do, ignore them, ignore the red flags. Um, and then I think I justified it the way many of us do. Um, I told myself that I was successful. I was a grown-up enjoying wine like a grown-up does after a hard day at work. You know, I deserved it. It wasn't a problem, that kind of thing. And at that point, it still wasn't a really serious problem, but it became a problem really quickly after I had my first child. Um, and then 24 months later, I had my second child. And I've, I've heard many people say this, so, uh, you know, I'm not, I know I'm not alone, but becoming a mother really added fuel to the fire. Um, I drank to escape the demands, you know, of being a mom, um, boredom, feeling like a failure as a mom, um, like I wasn't good enough, you know, those things that pop up so often when you're a new mom. Um Looking back, I see that I really drank a lot because I was lonely, so I would justify it. You know, I was away from my family. My husband worked long hours, and he was in school at night getting his MBA at the time. So I really felt disconnected just from the world, kind of, and trapped. Um, Kind of like trapped in a world of babies and toddlers and constant demands, and I never asked for help, ever. And that was something that I just didn't even consider. So I had kind of given up my career to stay at home with my children, and I thought that was what I was supposed to do. I didn't know that that wasn't necessarily something I had to do. Um, And I think having grown up in such a dysfunctional, chaotic family, I didn't really have any way to measure what normal looked like. So... I kind of put all of this pressure on myself to do it all right and be perfect. And, you know, it was just exhausting. So that was usually how I justified my drinking. And really nobody was paying much attention. So I really only had to justify it to myself. Um, You know, I was really good at hiding it. I was a skilled um, hider liar, I guess. I mean, looking back, I I didn't think of it that way at the time, but now now I do. Um, So, you know, on the outside, everything looked like it was supposed to look. I had a beautiful family and nice house and a nice car and a college degree that I hoped to eventually use again. Um, I had, by that time, I had gotten a great little part-time job that allowed me to be with my children because you know, God forbid I ever let them part from me, even for a minute. I Again, I thought that that was sort of a, my responsibility alone, that I should never uh, ask for help or, you know, ever admit that I needed someone to kind of be there for me. Um, I had, um, you know, I had friends and nice vacations and I guess all the things on paper that would say my life looked pretty, pretty sweet, really. I mean, on the um, on the outside, things looked great. I'm sure people thought things were great. Um, it was just I was really 
very good at, again, at, at hiding. Um, and on the inside, little by little, I was really falling apart. I was um, I was miserable, but I hit it. I hit it so well that I don't even think I knew it myself. Um, I was like a robot kind of going through the motions, putting on a show. And unfortunately, I was really good at wearing a mask. I was really too too good. Um, and so anyway, um, when my son was just a few weeks old, my father died suddenly. And we had never had a close relationship because he was an alcoholic. And he died an alcohol-related death. And at that time, I had two children under the age of two. I was, um, I guess, reeling, really, with what I now know was postpartum depression. Um, at the time, I didn't know that I was experiencing postpartum depression. And then I lost my dad suddenly. And it was really a horribly tragic death, and I was there for it. And it really haunted me. And um, there were just so many unresolved feelings and so many things left unsaid. But as usual, I carried on and wearing my mask and doing it all and never grieving. Or I don't even remember, honestly, ever expressing sadness over the loss of my dad. Um, to anybody, even my most trusted friends, I just didn't. I didn't talk about it. Instead, instead, I just have a very vivid memory of um, staying up late after I put my children to bed and drinking wine and listening to my dad's favorite record and crying in the dark. And I was just, I was terribly sad and depressed. And um, now I know that. Of course, drinking through the shock only made my depression and sadness even even worse. I mean, um, at that time, I was just really desperate for escape, and I think drinking was the only way I knew how to do it. And then huh, that the same year, or actually it was a, maybe a year later, my grandmother passed away, and um, I had not even really grieved my father's death before she died, and you know, you all you all have heard me talk about my grandmother. She was um, more than a grandmother. She was like a mother and a father and a grandma all rolled into one for me. So she, losing her really, it was very traumatic for me. She was my dad's mother, and I was her only grandchild. And we were just very close. We had a very strong bond. Ugh, makes me... Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Um, she was... She was really my rock, and um, all of these things happened so close together. Just just telling this story right now, I'm thinking, I really went through a lot of, of stuff um, yeah. in a very short amount of time. But anyway, she really believed in me, and she was always there for me during my turbulent childhood. She was kind of like my rescuer. Um, she did rescue me a lot, as much as she could. And as a new mom, um, she was there for me, too. She just really filled a void for me, although she, I never told her. She never knew about my problem with alcohol. Um, she died before it got to a point that she would have seen it. Again, I was really good at hiding it. Um, anyway, so when she died, sorrow kind of just overtook me, and I think I really became a different person. Um, but my mask really started slipping. By then, 
my daughter was, she was three or almost four, but she was so smart and she was so intuitive. And uh, she really knew that there was something going on with me. And she started telling my husband, she would say, Mommy was drinking grape wine and it scared me. And she Mm. voiced, I mean, she put that into words. And so he traveled a lot. And he wasn't very observant when he was at home. But I think my daughter kind of alerting him gave him a clue that something wasn't right. And eventually he he would question me and find hidden bottles, and he would get angry. And, um, of course, I would say, I'm going to stop. And, um, and then he would believe me only to find more bottles hidden the next day. So it kind of went on like that for just for maybe a month, maybe. Eventually he came to me and he told me that he no longer felt safe leaving the kids alone with me. And that was really the very beginning of my turning point. I believed, I really believed him. I, I knew he meant it. I was, of course, I was so furious. And I, I acted like he was crazy and I acted so offended, you know, like he was in the wrong. But um, looking back, I'm, I'm so grateful he made that threat um, because that was really the beginning for me. Um, I didn't. I wish I could say I stopped for good that day, but um, that was the beginning of my my very slow stop. Um, that was kind of what I guess alerted me that something had to change, and I I fought it because I really didn't want to. I didn't want to change. You know, I didn't. I didn't want to give it up. But, um, so when people talk about their bottom, you know, it's, it's really, I I didn't really have what most people would describe as a rock bottom. Um, bottom felt uneventful for me. It wasn't a huge event. It wasn't one huge thing. You know, I can look back now and I can see several things that I'm ashamed of that happened you know, at the end of my drinking, and I think, ah, oh, that that would have been a bottom, you know, but none of those things would really be considered major, really. Um, so I think my right bottom was more of a slow and steady crash and burn, maybe. I mean, it just it didn't happen all at one time. Um, so it was that kind of made it tricky, too, because I would read all these things and hear all these stories and I'd be like what they're really bad they really have a problem Mm. I don't that's not me I don't have those problems I mean no way you know so that kind of made it a little bit murkier um but anyway eventually eventually even though I did not want to give up what had worked for me for so long um I did surrender and I just, I think, I tried not to think too far ahead. Um, it was more like I had to get through the moment and then eventually the day and then that evening and then that night that I finally threw in the towel. Um, it really felt like a relief to take it off the table when I realized that it was no longer an option for me. The pressure, it just kind of started to decrease. I felt lighter. I mean, I was still terrified. Don't get me wrong; it was it was terrifying. Um, but there was some peace 
that came with it. It was just when I started to look at it like, oh, I don't have to drink. I do not have to do that anymore. Um, It doesn't even have to be an option for me. You know, when I started really listening to those thoughts that I was hearing in my head, just little whispers, um, that's when I started to feel like I had hope. That I, I really believe that just coming to that realization that it was no longer an option for me was sort of my surrender. Um, and like every good alcoholic, I'm pretty stubborn, and I don't want anybody telling me what to do or telling me that I'm this thing or I'm an alcoholic or I have a problem or whatever. Um, but So I really didn't embrace the term alcoholic. I didn't accept that I was a real alcoholic for months after I finally stopped drinking. Um, For me, it took hindsight and some clarity for me to really see my problem for what it was. Um, Now I have no problem admitting it. In fact, I'm sort of proud that I made it to the other side. I feel like um, there was some power in admitting that I wasn't perfect and I didn't have it all together. And I was working hard on myself to be better, and I didn't have to be perfect. And the world would still keep spinning. Um, you know, everything was going to be okay. You know, that was just such a relief. I, I, I was really pretty, I just felt so much better um, when I realized that I could admit that I did have a problem. Um, and, you know, I never really felt the need to announce to the world that I was an alcoholic, and I still don't, um, I don't know, and I really can say honestly that it's not about, I'm not ashamed, that's not it, it's more of, I'm just a, I'm a private person in general, so I don't tell all to any of, any acquaintances or coworkers or even distant relatives, um, but at the same time, if it comes up, I'm definitely not ashamed to say, you know, that I'm an alcoholic in recovery, and Uh, I do reach out to people in my life who are struggling, and I do share my story if I think it might help for one person to feel less alone. Um, But it's not something that I really feel like I have to share with everyone Um, because I know that I do have people that I'm accountable to. And, um, you know, I I know that the way for now, the way that I'm doing it is working. So, um, Willingness, I'd have to say, I wasn't necessarily willing until after the fact, if that makes any sense at all. It wasn't, I didn't recognize it as willingness until several months after I quit, um, which probably sounds strange. But um, And then today, um, my number one sobriety tool is seeing my addiction therapist at least once a week, sometimes twice. Um, We're very tight. Um, I I really think that that was the most critical component of me for me getting sober um, and staying sober. This has worked for me. Um, I've been very open and honest with her from the beginning, which was also critical for me because that's not something I ever did, did automatically. You know, I always hid parts of myself and... I had to be honest with her, Um, and thank God I was. I'm so glad because it really opened up a whole new way of communication for me and learning and um, 
you know, receiving information based on the facts because God knows I went to plenty of therapists and said, oh, I'm depressed. And when the therapist would say, well, do you drink? I'd say, oh, maybe once or twice a month, maybe. I mean, you know, <laughs> never. I just because I was yeah. so afraid that I would be told, well, that's the problem, you know. Um, and I also read recovery books and recovery blogs and helping other people um, being of service. That's a huge, huge thing for me. Um, it helps me. It helps me so much, even if I just do something small. So I do as much service work as I can, and which is pretty easy, really, because of my job. So I'm able to do a lot of that through my job, um, reaching out to other alcoholics, um, my recovery community online and my um, in-person are huge accountability measures for me. And being open to my family um, is something I never thought I would do, but I do it now with gusto. They probably get tired of hearing all about it. And a few trusted friends in real life that I can be open with. So for me, um, my recovery really isn't a clear-cut plan. I don't... I don't think there's a right way or a wrong way. I think that willingness to try whatever I need to try is key. So if I ever feel like I'm on shaky ground and I need to do something differently, I will do whatever it takes. If I feel like something starts to feel off, um, I'm not above trying something else. You know, I have a very open mind, which is something I never had before, um, so I'm always thinking ahead, you know, this is what I would do if this, you know, if I keep feeling this way or if this feels, if whatever I'm doing now starts to feel like it's not doing what it needs to do, then I will try a different way. And so far, this path has definitely worked for me as I will uh, be celebrating my third year sober next month. So that is kind of Woo-hoo. what's been key. For me, so you know, I know that was a lot of information, but it's hard. It's very hard to uh, summarize forty years in uh, what twenty minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. you did a great I job. Did, I know you, you did. And Lisa, very familiar story. Tell us the uh, tell us about the bubble. Oh, the bubble, the bubble. Well, uh, you know, early on, I knew that I had to do something drastically different if I really wanted to make this work. God knows I tried to do everything half-assed. And, oh, sorry, I think I I wasn't supposed to say ass, but um, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> um, sorry. So, but um, I realized that I had to really change pretty much everything because I had tried it every other way, you know, hanging out with the same people and doing the same things socially and um, doing all the same committees and volunteering for things I didn't give a sh- uh, I didn't care about, but I was just <laughs> doing it because I thought it was sort of what was expected. And so for me, the bubble concept came from me deciding that I was just going to pretty much hunker down and... Um, only leave my house when required by law. Um, you know, I just stopped with all the bullshit. I just stopped doing the things that that I didn't really want to do anyway. Um, I had to do some things because I, you know, have a job and children, but I really put my, I protected myself 
and by that I mean I, you know, I made plans by, you know, making sure I had mindless movies to watch or stupid trashy books to read or um, ice cream stocked in my freezer and um, tons of uh, seltzer water, fizzy water, you know, um, just music to listen to. I, I just had a plan, and I said no for the first time in my life. I said no to invitations. Um, I started ordering takeout. I stopped cooking, um, which I know is not an option for everyone, and I don't think it's necessarily the best thing in the world, but at that time in my life, that was what I needed to do and because cooking was a huge trigger for me. So I um, I just completely stopped. I mean, I went from cooking these, you know, fabulous fancy meals to never cooking. And I have to be honest and say, I, I haven't really picked it back up. And it's, it's, everybody's been okay. <laughs> everybody's survived. Um, you know, it's gotten easier, and it's not a trigger anymore, but, it's so funny when you start to do things differently that, you know, it's like, gosh, why did I ever do it any other way? Why did I never say no before? You know, why didn't I take care of myself? Why didn't I, and little things that, that I do now that I didn't do before I get up earlier so that I'm able to have some quiet time before I have to, you know, wake my family up and get them to school and get myself to work. I'm able to, um, reflect and think and listen to music and read, you know, just little things like that. So for me, my bubble was more about being prepared. It was more about learning how to be assertive um, in the South. It's not really proper to always, or not just in the South, but anywhere really, but just to constantly say no to invitations is really very rude. So eventually I did have to kind of, relent and kind of start living life again but I, I, it took a while it took a long long time for me to um, get back out just because I was I learned a lot first of all one thing was I didn't necessarily like the people that I used to hang out with anymore which is <laughs> sad but true um, you know you kind of change things change you change and you find yourself surprisingly not missing the people that you thought were your closest friends. Um, so eventually I did have to start accepting invitations, but I'm I'm very particular and I'm very picky. And if I feel like it's something that is not good for me and I can get out of it, I say no. Um, I think all of this has just made me a more... I, I look at myself now and I think I'm I'm really turning into a person that I like you know like I don't feel any I don't feel that strong sense of self-hatred that I used to feel just um I feel like it's okay for me to be lazy on a Saturday just because I want to be you know I don't have to always be the person who's like hey hey I'm up I'm busy I'm not hungover see see I'm doing everything see how perfect I am I have it all together and it's a relief it's such a relief mm-hmm. to not feel that way. And um, it's sort of like I don't feel like I have to overcompensate now. And I can just be me. And I can, you know, that's really how I, that's really my bubble. I don't really know if I explained it well, but 
when oh, I first, when I thought of the bubble, Very well. it was just really. I pictured myself inside of a bubble, with my favorite foods, my favorite books, my favorite movies, and you know, I was honest with my children. I said, for a little while, we won't have sleepovers, and for a little while, we won't have playdates. And you know what? Kids are really resilient. They really wanted their mommy to be better. They didn't care. You know, they didn't care about having played at fancy birthday parties and play dates. They just wanted a mom who was happy and healthy. And, you know, we got closer. And it's just turned into, my bubble kind of has also turned into my kids' bubble. You know, my daughter will say, Mom, I just need to get in the bubble tonight. And um, and for her, that's just kind of the same as it is for me when we've had a long, busy week and we want to just have some time and do what we want to do and watch movies or read, that's what we do. And But a big part of that was, I think the most important thing for me to say about that was I had to be willing to do things differently. I had to admit that what I had been trying was not working. And, you know, I had to be very aggressive in what I planned and what I, the expectations that I set for myself, you know, I really had to take it down a notch and, or several notches, really. And it worked. And I, I I would recommend to anyone who is newly sober to get yourself a bubble and stick to it because there's always going to be someone who calls and says, let's go do this, or, you know, there's always going to be something you could do. But in early sobriety, it's so important to to really stick to your bubble, get in it, and stay there as much as you can. I think that was really critical for me. The, yeah, and there's a real honesty. Me. I feel like there's a real honesty in the bubble, you know, by mm-hmm. saying, look, we can't do the sleepovers, we can't go to mm-hmm. these parties, <clears throat> I can't, yeah. you know, meet all of these forced obligations, and you know what? We're we're gonna eat chicken nuggets again and Cheerios. Yeah, and and everyone's gonna live. And and I remember Lisa, you you shared this awesome video that I think one of your kids took of you like putting a frozen pizza in the oven while you guys blast blasted some like dance music and you were all dancing around the kitchen. Yeah, that, <laughs> we do that all the time. Like, that, that's the happy life that we all hope that we have and that our kids have and that's only possible in it sobriety and, and yeah. you know Catherine I only I, if someone had told me the, during my first year of sobriety or first six months of sobriety that one day I would be listening to Rob Bass and um, uh, doing um, dances in my kitchen with my children sober on a random night with my daughter videoing it, I would have been like, what? You are crazy. Yeah. There is no way. I would never. <laughs> and now it's just a way of life. You know, it's just, there is honesty in it. There is a lot of it. And I'm really, you know, I don't feel the need to explain myself so much anymore. I don't feel like I owe everyone an explanation. I don't feel obligated. Um, it's amazing how much energy people-pleasing sucks out of you and when you let go of that it's kind of like oh my gosh wow 
who needs who needs it life to be this way? So it it was hard at first. I, I can't lie. It was very difficult. It was lonely and sad and hard. But then the miracles started to happen, and because I stuck you know, I stayed around and waited, and I did the work, and I worked on myself for the first time in my life, and I got honest with myself for the first time in my life, and that is when I started to see the the beauty of what life is um, sober. Yeah, this is. I, I hear a lot of you talking about letting go of perfectionism, and <clears throat> and it's it's a it's amazing to me because I'm not a mom. <clears throat> Sorry, I don't know what's up with my throat, but you know, just hearing about so many moms that you know, there's. I just feel like there's so much pressure from society to be this perfect mom and to do all these perfect things at home, cook these perfect meals, and you know, just letting go of that is just is just huge. And I remember when um, when you got your first year, Lisa, your, one of the things you said is, you know, now my insides match my outsides. Right. And that's, that's right. always stuck with me. I just well, love that. Well, it's true. And you know what I think now? I think now at almost three years, now my insides match my outside even more. You know, I don't know if that's even possible, but it's amazing how you you really do learn every a little bit more about yourself, and um, I, I think it's even more true today that my insides really match my outsides. I mean, and I feel like next year, if you ask me the same question, I'll say, "Oh, it's even more so now." I think it's something that just keeps evolving as I keep growing and learning and being willing to kind of not be so set in my ways and keep an open mind and that's that's really been part of it for me part of this crazy journey and it's a really powerful example that... too of how much recovery and sobriety is so much more than just putting a drink down you oh, know God, the things yes. that we don't yeah. expect to happen all this personal growth and even the hard times are such teaching opportunities the way that you I mean, everything that you just described is such a powerful example of that it's very true. It's so much more than just putting it down. I mean, that's that's just the beginning. Of course, you have to be willing to do that for the rest to fall into place. But um, that's really just very tip of the iceberg because what comes next is the is the part that is sometimes brutal and sometimes just wonderful, you know. But it's all part of it. Yeah. And Lisa, I heard you say acceptance a couple of times and so the the first is sort of just the acceptance of the truth. The truth is I don't have to drink. Okay, that's a relief. Then the next layer of acceptance is, you know what? I can actually call myself an alcoholic and be comfortable with that. And now sort of fast forward up to three years, now I'm hearing this really beautiful acceptance. It's not just that you're outside match your insides but you like that you like yourself and and it's sort of the yes. dropping of of anything like i have to have a mask because what's underneath the mask might not be good enough and now it's like no it's good enough it's more than good enough and here i am and i love that mm. I, I can hear that so strongly in your story that's another that's a huge kind of acceptance that we oh. only get in sobriety 
Right, and it would, and that's one thing that you know I used to really roll my eyes to the heavens when people would say the gifts of sobriety, and you know I would hear these quotes like there's so many gifts that come with being sober, and I'd be like whatever, just stop with all that, you know, or you know, just it would drive me crazy. But now it's funny, you know, I don't think unless I had had been through this journey, I would be so accepting of life and of myself and I'm please don't get me wrong (laughs) it's not like I look in the mirror every day and say hey girl you're perfect (laughs) (laughs) just you and Ryan Gosling in the mirror hey girl girl, hey Uh, no we're not there yet okay Um, but at the same time I'm willing to accept that I don't have to be perfect. I'm willing to accept that um, that life does not have to be perfect to be beautiful. Um, and my life is not perfect. I mean, God knows I've I've made mistakes. I've, I've done things wrong. You know, I've I've made some choices that I regret. And um, you know, I'm sure I've not been the most perfect mother and friend. But I also know that I'm do- there's a lot of um, peace that comes with knowing that you're doing the best you can and mm-hmm. genuinely meaning that. You know, I'm I'm very much learning that just because it's not perfection doesn't mean it's not good enough. And, you know, I've just really been working on acceptance and especially lately I've had several things that have happened. Um, I lost a good friend in the fall um, unexpectedly in a traumatic way and um that kind of made me question so much you know about life and why do things happen to people that we love and um you know when there's no closure and um you know also I've recently um changed jobs and that was a huge huge deal for me um leaving my job where I was comfortable and stepping out into the world and you know, going to a whole new place. Um, that that was not easy, but it, there was a point, Catherine, like I was telling you earlier when we were talking. Um, it, it was time for me to make that make that that change, and I could yeah. either stay stuck or I could do something about it and make it make it different. And so I had to accept that it needed to change. And when I did that, that opened up the door for me to new possibilities. Um, so I know that all of that, you know, accepting life on life's terms, it's all easier said than done. I, I do know that. But there's something about the power of acceptance that really, really makes a difference for me. Um, it, it really can do amazing things in my life. It has done amazing things in my life. And even in sobriety, like I said, life is not perfect, you know, of course, we're all going to have bad days and good days, but I think it's how we choose to deal with the bad days that matters the most. Um, just because I have a bad day doesn't mean I have a bad life. That's mm, something that I right. constantly re- remind myself. This does not mean I have a bad life. One bad thing does not seal the deal. That's not my fate. So I, ha- I have the power to respond to the things that happen in a way that gives me the opportunity to grow 
or I can shut down like I used to do and and be angry and bitter or I can accept. Um, and I always know that it will pass. You know, the bad days pass. And um, when I accept this, when I accept that sometimes things just suck in my life. <laughs> but, you know, again, it will end. And, so, and good will come as long as I keep doing the next right thing, which is really what my goal is every day. And that's the best I can do. And if I know I'm doing that, I am okay with myself. I can go to sleep at night and be okay knowing I'm doing the best I can with any given situation. That doesn't always mean I'm doing the right thing or the perfect thing, but I'm doing the best I can. So really that's that's kind of how I've been thinking of acceptance lately. I think sometimes that the difference between perfectionism and acceptance is that for me perfectionism is like doing the best I can and then trying to control the outcome. Mm-hmm. And acceptance is doing the best I can and then letting go of the outcome. Mm-hmm. That's to me right. like where the acceptance comes in. Where you know, in both, I'm pu- I'm pouring a lot of energy and effort into something, but it, the, for me, the suffering comes in and trying to continue to manipulate everything else around me and the things that are really actually outside of my control. That's where the suffering Which comes. Which is pretty in. much everything, really. Yeah, exactly. I've learned. <laughs> I mean, there's, yeah. I mean. There's really nothing that's in my control, very little. You know, I've had to face that hard and brutal fact because, you know, perfectionists really do not like the idea of not having control over every situation. Um, But really we don't. We have so little. I read a really great meditation by uh, Jack Kornfield which is kind of on the he's a buddhist and oh yeah it's on the whole the whole idea of um groundlessness and how life is we 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 only have groundlessness we can't control anything and the meditation is i consent and you just keep saying that over and over you meditate on what's going on for you and i consent i consent and sort of that seems easy when you know, you're out of coffee and you're a little bit annoyed by it. Okay, I consent. I can deal with it. But right, you right. Know, but if somebody, I, like, I read a really painful post on Facebook. Somebody I knew lost someone close to her, and she was just so angry about it. And she said, "I will never accept that my friend passed away at this young age." And mm-hmm. I think we all know mm-hmm. what that feeling is like when we lose oh, yeah. somebody and we say we're so angry, like we can, we will never accept this. And you know what? Mm-hmm. It's in that moment that if we stay in sobriety and just say, I consent, you know, this happens, mm-hmm. this what's, happens. The next, mm-hmm. what's the next right action for me now to stay sober and to be you know, in this moment and in my grief. And you talked very movingly, Lisa, about when your dad passed, how you didn't talk about it and you didn't um, you didn't grieve it and how, you know, has that come up for you now as part of your, your sobriety journey with your therapist? Yes. Oh, God, yes. Oh, yes. It comes but, rolling uh, back, yeah. Yes, it's all come back and... You know, all of it, the postpartum depression that I had after the birth of my children, my father dying, my grandmother dying, and even recent events with my friend dying, and it's all 
you know, yes, but to answer your question, Catherine, yes, um, it's been a huge part of my therapy. Um, you know, when you bury grief by using alcohol or whatever your substance of choice is instead of facing it, um, that there's another saying I used to hate and roll my eyes at, that it was the only way out is through. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's mm-hmm. true, the only way out really is through. And so um, I wasn't doing myself any favors by burying my grief. And, um, you know, but you know, when you know better, you do better. And so as much as I wanted to shut down when I lost my friend, I didn't because I knew that I had to get through it. And I knew that by talking about it and voicing my feelings, that was the way I would be able to get through it. And and it's true, and it's happened. And I'm still... And, of course, I'm still sad about it. And, of course, I think about it, and I still grieve. And um, it really uh, is upsetting. But at the same time, I I recognize that I have done something right because the old me wouldn't have been able to even bring it up tonight. You know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't have even been able to touch on the topic. So, yes, all of this is a huge part of of my um, therapy, and I highly recommend it. By the way, therapists are wonderful, especially mine. Um, but <laughs> I think I think everybody needs one. Um, I um, I think it changed my life, you know, along with being willing to stay sober. Mm. Yeah. The um, the whole concept of um, acceptance is. It's just I, I know, you know, the one thing I used to hear or I still hear is, you know, I, I, I can't change anything, only my reaction to how I handle things. And mm-hmm. and it is, it it's, um, you know, it can be harder sometimes to go through those things like you did with your friend, Lisa. But I, the same thing happened when I lost my mom. I drank through it and I didn't deal with the grief at all until I got sober. And... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, yeah, and yeah, listening to your story, there's a lot of stuff that I, I really identified with. But yeah, you, it just it comes up, and you know, a lot of people they you know they say you know how am I going to cope with this, you know, without drinking, and um, you just go through it, and you know, and you actually are coping with it better. You know, it doesn't feel like it at the time because you're going through hard things, but you're actually processing. Your right. um, grief and um, or whatever it is that you're going through, and it 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 just it's so much better. You know, it's kind of like I've always been one to um, you know just if something you know like rip the bandaid off, just get it over with if something's going on. Mm-hmm. But I didn't realize how much I postponed all of my feelings for mm-hmm. years when I was drinking. You know, oh, and it always it always gets you in the long run, even in sobriety. My dad died when I was a few years sober and I didn't go through it I didn't cope with it and I found other ways of running from myself you know without alcohol but there's many ways to not be honest to not accept and not go through things and it's that that swung around and bit me in the butt and led to a relapse so it's you know you can't run forever no matter how much we like to and we're so programmed to anesthetize the hard feelings that 
you know, getting it out there and even just putting it out in front and talking to somebody about it, even if you're not sure what you're going to do with it yet, is such a key first step towards getting to that experience. Well, that's the thing, right? Like talking about it and not trying to do it alone either. That's exactly. something that I feel like we all did when we were drinking was we tried to deal with everything alone. I mean, I know mm-hmm. we've yeah. all shared yes. about that on this show. And so, but that's one thing now that, that, Lisa, Amanda, and Ellie, you've all just said in the last two minutes is, yes, dealing with the hard thing, but asking for help and doing it exactly. with somebody, you know, a therapist, and being a, a recovery right. community. And being okay with with things not going exactly or even remotely how you thought they would. I mean, you either can accept it or kind of be stuck in it. And not one of my very favorite quotes, is my entire life can be described in one sentence. It didn't go as planned, and that's okay. Um, I like that. Really, my entire life can be described in one sentence. It didn't go as planned. It didn't, but I'm okay with that because it went the way it needed to go. You know, despite all of the heartache and the sad things, there's been a lot of really happy wonderful things so um we all have an i think we all have an idea of what we think our life will be and it it never is it's just it's not i think most people would probably say the same um i i could be wrong but uh, i feel like most women would probably relate to that Uh Mm -hmm. i can yeah absolutely well, we are getting close to the end of the show. I can't believe oh, gosh, how quickly this, this is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and we like I miss you guys. I know. Well, you'll have to come back on. I will. Anytime I will. you want to, lady. Anytime. Okay. So Thanks. we'd like to go around the um, and ask if anyone has any closing thoughts they'd like to add. Um, so I will start with um, my co-host, and then um, I'll get back to to Lisa. Um, but, Ellie, do you have any uh, closing thoughts you want to add? Oh, I'm just so happy to hear your voice, Lisa. And oh, I always learn so much from you, and I, I know that you've been through a lot recently, and just the grace and, and dignity and honesty and, and humor, even in the harder times <laughs> that you do with, with the things that come your way, it always inspires me, and I'm uh, just so grateful to be able to learn from you and be on this journey with you and I I'm going to I'm going to hound you to come back on sometime soon cuz we miss well, you. Well, I promise <laughs> I will and I feel the same. Thank you. Yeah. How how about you, Catherine? Well, yeah, Lisa, you know, I I got sober about 6 or 7 weeks after you did and I exactly. met you yeah. short short after there, shortly after there, so I feel like you know, we're so in step and our stories are so much alike in terms of what our emotional landscape was like. So I just, you know, I, I love hearing your voice and I'm so happy you're here. The thing that I'm taking away tonight is um, I don't owe anyone an explanation. I wrote that down and I put an exclamation point after it. You know what? Like my, my priority before literally anything is to stay sober literally anything my family my job it doesn't matter because mm -hmm. if i don't stay sober i lose every single one of those Mm -hmm. and more 
So I don't owe anyone an explanation. I don't have to look better than I am. I don't have to sound smarter than I am. I don't have to say yes when I mean no. Mm -hmm. I don't have to do it anymore. I don't have to explain myself. Exclamation point. (laughs) Thank you for reminding me. (laughs) That's right. How about you, Lisa? Any any closing thoughts you want to add? Just that I think that y'all are the best, and I love you guys, and I'm thrilled that you had me on, and um, you all teach me so much every single day, and I'm grateful to have you in my life, and um, I just I've missed this. This felt really, really natural and uh, very normal, and I'm just happy to be back with you guys and thank you so much for asking me to come on because I've loved it and it was good for me. It was good for my body, mind and soul. So oh, thank you all. Us too. Thank you. Oh yeah. Okay, definitely. Guys, well thank you so much. Well hang on a second here. And um yeah we I, I Lisa I have to tell you I wrote down like pages of notes on here but you know I just I I love when you said, you know, or I think it would be helpful for our listeners, too, that your bottom was slow and it was a slow and steady crash and burn because I think so mm-hmm. many people think it has to be like this this um, big bang thing like I did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and it doesn't. It can be, it's just that, right. you know, you you don't feel like something's right. Because I had the same thing. You said it was 17 years ago when you questioned that bottle of wine. And we uh-huh. talked about this on last week's show. I actually asked my dad, I'm like, what do I do to not become an alcoholic? Like, I was very aware back when I was 22. So that's 23 years ago. See? You know, it's, yes. That's it's, a long damn time ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, you know what's funny? So I actually heard someone said um, at a meeting I was at the other day, they said, um, when you first get sober, you um, look back and you say, oh, well, the past, you know, a few years have been pretty bad. That's when I became an alcoholic. And the longer you've been sober, you can look back and say, whoa, this stuff was popping up yeah. a long time ago. Right. And yeah. it's, um, you know, a friend of mine says about like that, he it, says, he, sorry, he says the better you get, the sicker you were. Yes, it's true. Exactly. I believe it. Because <laughs> yeah. they <laughs> Well, because that's that whole thing. That's another thing you said, Lisa, too, that you hid it so well that you hid it from yourself. And, I mean, and that's mm-hmm. what we do, right? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I, was I, real, I was brilliant at it, yes. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. And and we moved that line forward. It's, it's crazy stuff. Um, and another thing, I saw someone, you said this, and I saw someone post this on Facebook the other day, and it was so powerful to me. You said that um, there's power in admitting. Oh, oh no, wait. Well, there was power in admitting that you weren't perfect, mm-hmm. um, but also that it power and real and peace came when you realized that you didn't have to drink anymore. And mm-hmm. um, I, was, I just didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, because it, you said that too. It's just what 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 you did, and that that was the same for yep. me. It was just what I did. And I'll, I'll re- I, I was like two weeks sober, and I was like driving home, and there was something going on, like some event was coming up, or and I was talking. I wasn't driving, I should say. I was riding home with someone, but I was talking to Ellie, <laughs> and because um, I couldn't drive, um, I was talking to her, and I said, "Well, how do I, you know, how do I do this without drinking?" And and she's like, "Well, you can drink if you want to," and I was like, "But but I don't want to drink." 
And it was like this big revelation for me. It was like, wait. Well, you're right. Mm -hmm. Just just for the record, I think what I said is that you're a big girl and you can can do what you want. And, you know, you can always have your misery fully refunded if you want to keep doing some more research or something. I wasn't like, hey, yeah, go ahead. Right. <laughs> but I also knew yeah. that the reverse psychology would work on Amanda because no one tells her what she can't do and can do. So if I told her she could, that she wouldn't. <laughs> right, and it worked. She's like, "Hold it on, worked. wait, that's, you weren't supposed to say that." What? Exactly. Yeah. Huh, how dare you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this, it, there's there's just so many great things that you said tonight, Lisa, and I just love hearing your voice. It's just music well, to my you. ears. I love so. y'all. Thank you. I feel the same. And um, it was a great show, and so I guess I'm going to close the show, even though I hate to. Um, well, we'll do it again so soon. Yes, absolutely. Yes, ma'am. Okay, All thank right, you, guys. So, okay. So as we close the show tonight, we'd like to direct you to our parent organization, ShiningStrong.org. There you will find links to our resources, including the Bubble Hour and Crying Out Now, and other initiatives around recovery advocacy. You also find a link to Jean's blog, Unpickled, as well as our email address, thebubblehour at gmail.com. Let us know your feedback and thoughts about tonight's show format and any other topic suggestions. And if you would like to go directly to the Bubble Hour's website, that is thebubblehour.com, and there you can listen to our shows directly or follow a link to subscribe to our podcast. We are also on Facebook, so please be sure to like our page. And we thank you all for listening to the Bubble Hour and hope you have a great evening. So, good night, ladies. Good night. night. Thank you so much. Okay, goodbye. Good night. Right. Bye. Thank you. Good night. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.